Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Heavy Pages, A Divorce Journal, and our special segment, The Saturday Matinee. And this Saturday, we are going to be discussing and reviewing War of the Roses, which is a movie that came out in 1989, and it was starring Danny DeVito, Michael Douglas, and Kathleen Turner. And it is considered a uh, black comedy, I guess because it does really go dark (laughs) uh, before it ends. So it's a 32-year-old movie, but it is a divorce movie. And if I have to say, it's one of the big divorce movies that everybody should watch because there's definitely lessons to be learned. So I've obviously seen this movie quite a few times and I had a bias. I had a feeling I I didn't like one of the characters. I seem to remember not liking one of the characters a lot, but I just watched it again today so that I could do this podcast and I tried to keep myself... Uh, as neutral as possible while I watched to see what I thought and if I still had the same feelings or if things had uh, changed with, you know, maturity and age. And I will have to say they absolutely did not. And again, I am going through this with the eye of strictly relationships and red flags and Uh, good things and bad things, in my opinion, other people may disagree with me and probably some do disagree with me, but that's the eye I will be looking at when I go through my review. Also, I should mention spoilers. There will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen it and want to see it without the spoilers, then you can pause now and come back to it. Or you can listen to this and then see if you want to go check it out and see if you agree or disagree with my Uh, opinion on it. Um, It basically starts as a divorce lawyer, which is Danny DeVito, is speaking to a client. And before they move forward with the divorce, he wants to give him a story or share with him a story that might make him decide if he really wants to go forward or if his marriage is worth fixing. And he tells the story of Barbara and Oliver Rose. So it starts telling their story, and sure, they met kind of in a cute way, but already how they met, it was for an auction, and uh, Barbara, which was played by Kathleen Turner, saw Oliver, which was played by Michael Douglas, and I guess she thought he was cute or something because he stood out to her in a crowd, and she watched him, and then when they sat down for the auction, she decides to bid on whatever he bids on and basically outbid him for whatever it was that he wanted that she knew nothing about it. It didn't really show that she knew anything about it. Maybe that was her attempt at getting to introduce herself to him or getting his attention. But already, in my opinion, it kind of came off not in the nicest way because she's already trying to outdo him on something or take something away from him that possibly he found value in. Either way, it was just a small little thing, but I noticed it. So, okay, they had a really nice uh, or an interesting 
um, origin story of how they met. And then, you know, they kind of show them through the years. They show them with the children uh, when they are just starting out. They have two kids and... Um, it looks like she works as a at a restaurant, I guess, is kind of what she alludes to. And he's an up-and-coming lawyer or trying to, probably, you know, a junior partner, not a partner, just an employee at a law firm. And he was taking care of the kids uh, on Christmas while she was working. He was doing, from what they showed, there was really nothing wrong. He's a busy dad who's trying to multitask. The kids were, you know, being kids. He didn't look resentful. He didn't seem mad. He didn't make any comments like, where were you or what took you so long or anything like that. He just was a little frazzled and busy. And so uh, when she gets home from work, you know, she brings this cheap looking, but maybe that's all they could afford, aluminum foil star to put on top of the tree. He kind of says he doesn't like it, but not in a mean way, just he didn't like it. And she I guess agrees with him, even though maybe she did like it. She didn't say, well, I like it or whatever. She just said, okay, and didn't use it. And then she invites him outside for a walk and turns out that she bought him a car, something he always wanted. They were really happy about it. It looked, you know, a nice, a happy story, right? Then they move forward to when they are a little more established and are doing better and they have a nice little... Uh, looks like a townhouse instead of the little tiny apartment that they were in in the previous scene. And he is, they're having a dinner party where he, they are both hosting and it's his people from his job. You know, she seems uncomfortable. He seems like he's obviously trying to impress his bosses. She seems a little bit uncomfortable or maybe um, out of, out of, out of place or just, you know, she doesn't feel like she fits in maybe, or that's the vibe that I get. But uh, it doesn't look like she's really chatty. It looks like she's just kind of uncomfortable. But he asks her to share a story about some glasses that they have. And she starts to tell the story. And she kind of rambles. She definitely rambles, which is fine. People don't really seem to be paying too much attention to her anyway. But, of course, he is hyper aware because, you know, he's trying to impress his bosses. So he gets a little um, distracted or frustrated that she's rambling. So he just interrupts her and tells a story. And obviously you can tell that she didn't appreciate that, but he wasn't rude or or anything like that. He just, you know, cut to the quick. But when they get into the bed later, she's super aggressive with him and she is um, and rude. And and actually, I think she even I'm not sure. I think she even says like a couple bad words to him that night because she because he was so rude to her. Well, I think everybody had a great time, don't you? To make a long story short, no. I'm sorry, you're just rambling on. I well, then know tell your own story to... next time you care so desperately what everybody thinks. Fuck face. And he gets it. He apologizes in his own way. Maybe he doesn't say, I apologize, but she called him a jerk. And then he's like, oh, you know, I hope they didn't notice that I was being, th- how much of a jerk I was or something similar to that effect. And so he kind of showed that he recognized that he was being a jerk. After the townhouse, they move into a really huge mansion. It's a house that she had been eyeing and had been wanting for years, and it just finally turned out that she could get the house. So it was a beautiful house. Well, it was a big house. It wasn't beautiful. It was kind of scary looking inside, but um, it needed a whole bunch of updating. So basically, she spent 
years and years uh, updating and remodeling and fixing the house while he spent those years and years working and providing for the family and apparently letting her do whatever she wanted to do with it. He wasn't, it didn't seem like he was up in her business about what she chose to do with the house. He just let her have free reign. So then she finishes the remodel and is bored and has nothing else to do. And that's when things, she's having a little bit of an empty nest uh, vibe. And somebody suggests that she open up her own business, a catering business, because she cooked well and they liked what she did. And she was like, well, that sounds like something I should do because I need something to do. And she tells him he's going to do it. He didn't jump all over the idea and say, great, great, do it. What a great idea. But he didn't. I didn't think that he like gaslit her or said anything super negative. She said she was going to do it. He said, okay, do it. Give it a try. He might not have been like super gung-ho about it, but he was not negative about it either. At least that was my interpretation of how he, he said it. Maybe I'm starting a business. But if you don't want me to. No, 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 no. You do it. Do it, do it. So she starts the business. After she has been doing the catering business, he suggested that she get a live-in maid to help her so that she can, uh, I guess, focus on her business and not have to worry about the chores in the house. And she seems upset about that, which to me, I thought it was thoughtful of him to suggest that. She takes it as an insult that she can't handle the house that she has already handled for many years. So... Again, to me, it seems like she is super um, self-conscious. She's so uh, chip on her shoulder and, and is taking everything, anything and everything that he might try to do for her. She's taking it super personally. And that's unfortunate because I don't see him as being as trying to be a jerk. I see him as trying to be helpful. And maybe he's not being helpful, but he's not trying to be mean or ugly. He just might not be being helpful the way that she feels he should be helpful. Anyway, she does end up um, hiring that live-in maid. And then while they're showing, this is how I realized this is just a shit woman. There's just, that's it. She's a shit woman. And I don't know what the movie was trying to convey. I don't know if they were hoping that people would be on her side. And maybe there are women that are on her side. I thought, she just, this was the point to me where I felt like they were actually making this woman be unlikable. But it's a scene where she's cooking, she's making something, she has her cat right next to her, right next to the food, on a stool, or on the counter, hard to tell, right next to her. And then there's a dog, um, you know, like four or five feet away, and she would cut pieces of the food, and then she'd like tease the dog, like, here dog, here dog, and pretend to throw it, and then he'd look for it, and it was gone, and she'd be like, stupid dog, and then she'd feed the food to her cat. She did that to the dog like two or three times. Hey, 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 Benny, dumb dog. Benny, come on, let's see if he'll go for it again. Benny, hi. Yeah, um. I am a dog person. I don't have anything against cats, but I am a dog person. I have a couple dogs, 
maybe more than a couple, but that's a story for another time. And I love my dogs. And seeing her be such a bitch to that dog and calling him stupid and never, it, she doesn't end up, ha ha, it's a joke, giving him some of the scraps. She just keeps teasing him and never gave him anything. And to me, I felt like, okay, I already had a bias toward this woman. I'm already seeing her be a little bit snarky. And this, uh, sorry, this chick is no good. So anyway, it's a small part, but it really said a lot in my opinion to me. So then you move on to he's, they're, they're laying together in bed. He tries to fool around with her. She's not interested, but she doesn't really say she's not interested. She actually gets again, like super passive aggressive with him and like squeeze him really hard with her legs and like, you know, seems to be painful to him. He has to ask her a few times to let go. She lets go. He thinks that she's kind of still playing. He didn't get it. And she just turns off the light and turns over. And he's like, he doesn't force himself on her. He doesn't do anything else, but be like, dude, what's your problem? Right. But anyway, the next day he's out to lunch with some clients and he starts having like really bad pains, like something's hurting him and they think he's having a heart attack and he's at the table and he can hardly breathe. He's sweating. He looks a mess. And the only thing he can say is call my wife. Okay, they take him to the hospital. He's at the hospital and they and there he's again saying, call my wife. And while they're calling for his wife, he's like, please give me a pen and paper so that I can leave her a note in case she doesn't make it. So he starts writing her a note and then they show her getting a phone call, being told that he was in the hospital. And you see her all freaked out and and um, saying, oh, my God, I got to go. And she leaves her meeting to go. Then they show him back at the hospital and it turns out that it was nothing major. He did ask if getting squeezed really hard around the waist would have caused his issue. And they're like, no, it was something else, but not anything major. So he waits around the hospital for her and she never shows up to come get him. So he goes uh, and, well, he gets himself home basically. And when he gets home, she's not there either. So he gets himself, you know, cleaned up and, and, settled for the night and then she walks in and he's like where were you and she's like oh I called the hospital they said you were fine so you know he he obviously felt a little bit not a little bit he felt a lot like sad and and insulted even that she didn't even bother going to the hospital with him so that night they're laying in bed and she tells him that she didn't go to the hospital because once she heard that he had a, a medical emergency that she pulled over because she was so scared. And he's like, oh, you don't have to be scared. You know, I'm okay. Whatever. She goes, no, I was scared because when I started thinking about you not ever showing up or, or dying, I got happy. And I was getting on the expressway and suddenly I had this very strong feeling that you were dead. And I knew what it would feel like to be alone in this house to not have you in my life. And I got so scared. I had to pull over. Oh. You don't have to be scared anymore. I got scared because I felt happy. So she's telling this to this man who just had a medical... Uh, <laughs> an episode, a medical episode. And so he's in shock, obviously. And like, what are you talking about? And she 
tells him that she felt like uh, she was happy that she was going to be free of him, that she was going to be able to be there with the house and the kids and that he was going to be gone. Obviously, he was insulted by this. And, you know, this is me just putting my divorced woman two cents in there. It's like, yeah, now she's happy that he will be dead and she will have this beautiful house and these kids and his pension and all that kind of stuff and won't have to deal with him. But, you know, you wouldn't have the house and the pension and all that kind of stuff if, if, if he didn't exist. But you're like, okay, he, he already served his purpose, so now I'm hap- I, I would be perfectly happy if he was just dead and gone. Kind of harsh. He obviously doesn't take it well. As a person who has been told that they want to be broken up with or that they need space or whatever, I understand where he's coming from. It, like, came out of nowhere that then she tells him, that she wants a divorce. So he feels even more blindsided and he wants answers. He wants to know why does she want to divorce him? What does she want? Why? What's the reason? What has he done? He doesn't think he's been that terrible of a person. So why does she want to divorce him? And she just says something really lame, like, you know, she can't stand even looking at him. I think I need, I, I think you owe me. After this many pretty goddamn good years of marriage, a solid reason. I worked my ass off to make enough money to provide you with a good life. And you owe me a reason that makes sense. So let's hear it. Come on. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Because when I watch you eat, when I see you asleep, when I look at you lately, I just want to smash your face in. And then obviously he says, go ahead, which he shouldn't have, but she does. She punches him in the face. It's like, I know this day and age that really wouldn't fly and maybe not even in a movie, but she does. She basically assaults him. He does not respond back to her, obviously, because, you know, he's still a gentleman and he's not going to, but he does make a comment like, you know, next time I will fight back or I'm not sure what he says, but something similar to that. But since she punched him and he was upset, he decided at that moment, which is understandable because this is not a time to be making big decisions. And this is not a time. This is a time when things are heated and people are mad. And he is hurt, shocked, insulted. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight this divorce. And she is like, I just want the house. I want you to leave. And I want the house. I want a divorce. And I want the house. So they go to a lawyer or they both get their lawyers and they're sitting there at the lawyer's office. And that's where he says that the lawyer tells uh, Michael Douglas, Oliver, that she doesn't want alimony. She'll take some child support, but the kids are going to be 18 soon. So it's really not going to be that much anyway, but she only wants the house, the house and everything inside it. And he does not agree to that. He's like, no, this is our house. And she's like, you don't care about the house. I did everything. I put my heart and soul into that house. I bought everything. And he goes, yeah, you bought it all with my money. And I really don't think it was a money thing for him so far, so much as a pride thing. But then, then the lawyer pulls out the letter that he, Michael Douglas Oliver, wrote to her on his, what he thought was his deathbed, where he said, my love. By the time you receive this, I may be gone. My life was fun, full, beyond my dreams. 
I have and all I am, I owe to you. And the lawyer's like, well, looks to me like you basically said that everything that you have um, is because of her. So did you write this? And then Michael Douglas gets really pissed off. And then he's like, you know what? It's not happening. You're not getting the house. And I can see where he would be mad. Like, is there no, I mean, what happened to all those 20, 18 years, whatever you guys lived together that you would be so gross, so terrible towards him to even bring up something at a moment where, you know, oh, and I guess when he read that letter to her earlier, she was just like, eh, there was no reaction. There was no, she didn't buy it. Basically. She just, she was cynical. Cynical is like the word. She was just so cynical and just looked at him like, you know, whatever those words mean nothing to me. So the war is on, right? The war of the roses begins. He's not willing to do the divorce. They start, um, he, he moves out for like five minutes and then there's a clause in uh, the law wherever they live that says that they can be separated and still live in the same house. So he moves back in the house and she gets really pissed off because she doesn't want him there, but he goes back because this is his house and he's going to fight for it. So then one day the maid go one night the maid goes to ask her for a sleeping pill and she asks the maid if it's for Oliver and the maid says yes and then she won't give it to her so she closes the door like who cares like just again just heartless and then while she closes the door her cat gets out so her cat gets out her cat when they uh, Michael Douglas then has to go to the store because he needs some medicine and when he opens the door to go outside the cat gets out and the dog gets out and then the cat and the dog chase each other and while Michael Douglas goes to pull out of the driveway the cat and the dog run around in front of him and he accidentally runs over the cat it was accidental there is zero zero misunderstanding that this was accidental he accidentally ran over that cat but already seeing how terrible the um Kathleen Turner character is you know that that is just not going to go well but anyway he he cleans up the cat cleans up his car the maid was with him so she knew what happened but I guess neither of them decide to tell um Kathleen Turner what happened and she she goes looking for the cat for a couple days and she can't find him. And so one night when um, Michael Douglas is in the sauna down in the basement, it's a very fancy house, clearly. She goes to ask him, what happened? Where's the cat? I know something happened. And then he tells her, you know what? You killed the cat because I asked for the pill. You wouldn't give me the pill. I had to go get the pill. And when I left, the, do- the cat ran under the car. So she slams the door on him, goes and gets some tools and slams, um, uses these tools to barricade him inside the sauna. I mean, this is the one of quite a few times when this woman could be accused of attempted murder, okay? She locks him in there. He can't get out. He tries to get out. He can't get out. She finally just goes downstairs after, you know, a while and opens the door and tells him she wants him to leave. And he's like, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to leave. So... From there, things start to get a little bit uh, more tense in be- between them, even though he he hasn't been mean or, you know, terrible to her. He just is going to fight for that house. So then this woman goes to the attorney, which is Danny DeVito, uh, which is Michael Douglas's um, attorney for the divorce, and she tries to sell her body to him 
because he's a little bit of a horn dog in the movie, to sell her body to him to get him to have um, Michael Douglas move out. And it's like, this woman has no shame. I don't. I have not found a redeeming quality in this woman yet. So luckily, Danny DeVito's like, nope, no thanks. I'm going to pass. So then I see that Michael Douglas, Oliver, I keep saying Michael Douglas, but his name is Oliver. I don't know if it bothers you all that I don't say his character name and I say his actor name. So since I've already been saying Michael Douglas, I'm going to keep saying Michael Douglas because then if I switch to Oliver, it gets weird. But anyway, so I don't see that the Michael Douglas character is being a jerk. I see that he still kind of continues to have hope and hope that she is going to um, come around, hope that they could still get back together. He says that he still loves her. And he still thinks maybe this is, I don't know what, he thinks it's all an act or whatever, but she's a great actress because she's just obviously super horrible to him. And he's saying he can, he's, he still has hope. But then she invites him to dinner one night and tells him that uh, they need to talk because she, she wants this settled. So he goes there to the dinner and he's thinking maybe there's a chance here. Maybe we can get back together or though I don't know why anyone would want to get back together with this woman at this point. Uh, I would be running for the hills, honestly. But he goes to the dinner. She makes a special meal. They sit down for the meal. They're both suspicious. You know, are you poisoning my wine? Did you poison my food? But no, none of that. So he eats the meal. He's like, I can't believe that you, you know, you cook so well that you would actually, you know, I don't know. He, and he, and he, intimated or he referenced her cooking uh like someone who cooks this well can't be so bad or something like that Oliver, if you don't get out of here now you have no idea how far i'll go how far tell me sure we've been horrible to each other but we had something we still do we haven't passed any point of no return i have i'm not convinced nobody who makes pate this good be all bad. That depends on what the pate is made of. Woof. Woof. So then obviously he freaks out because he's like, dude, she freaking killed and cooked my dog. And I wouldn't put it past this woman after you've seen everything else he's done. And that's basically where he starts losing it. And he starts being about as bad as her, though, honestly, he never does get as bad as her. He goes and uh, cuts the heels off of all of her shoes, which, yeah, totally not cool. And then Kathleen Turner has a dinner party and he finds out that it's a dinner party. But she said the exterminators were coming because he didn't she didn't want him there. So he shows up and he basically does gross stuff to the meal that's already on the table with all the guests there. And then he goes into the kitchen and pees on some of the food in the kitchen. And then she gets pissed off. And then this is where she does her second attempted murder because that car that she bought him, you know, when they were happy and in their little apartment, he still has it. He loves it. It's his car. She bought like this monster truck. And so she drives over with her monster truck and just rolls over his little sports car and he's still in it. He won't get out and she still drives over it, over 
the car with her monster truck while he's in it. Obviously, he doesn't die, but this is attempted murder, and her house guests are there watching her. It's a movie. I know it's a movie, but really, at that point, he could have just called the cops. He had witnesses. She would have been put in jail, and he would have been able to keep the house. Done. Simple. Done. But, of course, that's not what happened. So she attempted to murder him by running over his car, and then... Then it, this is where it starts getting really dark. They both barricade themselves inside the house. They, they're hiding from each other. They're destroying each other's property. They're destroying the house. They're, you know, they barricaded the doors and windows so neither of them could escape. And then I, I don't even know what they're trying to do. They're, they were trying to, <laughs> I have no idea. It's a movie. It was kind of stupid, but they're in the house. They're all fighting. They're doing things. And um, at one point, she's watching him from a peephole. She sees where he is, and she starts um, releasing the bolt of a chandelier because he was under it, and she wanted him it to fall on him. So attempted murder number, I lost count. But he moves away, so it doesn't work, so she stops. Then later, um, just before the end of the movie... He has the the one little figurine that is what they both had um, bid on in the beginning. He has that piece and he shows it to her and she goes to get it and he takes it and he's like, tell me that this is mine and the rest of the house is yours. Tell you what. You say it's mine. And you can have everything in this house. Okay. It's mine. And she still couldn't do it. She still, at that point, could not let go. So he breaks the thing into pieces and one of the shards goes flying and hits her in the head or in the eye. It's hard to tell. And he still goes running to her to be like, oh, my God, are you okay? Obviously, she was. And she took advantage of that and starts beating him up and... Uh, you know, they get physical again. And um, basically, I'm not going to tell you how how the climax of it is, but I will tell you that they basically both die. And when they're lying there about to die, their last um, breath, their last moments, he reaches over to her and he puts his arm on her. So at least they're dying, you know, touching each other and whatever. And then you see her slowly reach over to his hand and she puts her hand over his and you're like, wow. At the end, you know, she recognized something. But no, she takes his hand and she flings it off him with her dying breath and movement. And that's how they die. Well, that is my recap of the movie. I hope it wasn't too convoluted. And now I'll give you a few more opinions on individual characters and let's start with Kathleen Turner's Barbara. I found this woman to be bitter. She was miserable with her life. She dedicated her life to kids in a house and then she didn't know what to do with herself. And then she, in my opinion, blamed her husband for her misery. She blamed him. Any, there was nothing that he could do right. He wasn't perfect. I'm not saying he was perfect. I know that there's things he could have done better. But as a woman who has been divorced, who has been in a bad marriage, I watched him. And from what they showed, he was not a bad man. He was a provider. He worked for his family. 
he was a hard worker and he worked a lot. Sure, she might have been lonely. I get that. And, you know, you might feel lonely. You might feel a little bit left out. But that still does not explain how miserable, how bitter and how heartless she was towards him. He didn't do anything to make her so... She was a horrible person. This character was an absolute horrible count. Uh, absolute horrible person. I don't see a single redeeming quality about her. I thought she was just awful. She was just awful. Um, I don't know if it was low self-esteem or what's the buzzword now? Uh, she had a whole bunch. She felt very entitled to what? To what she, what they both worked on all their lives. She felt like she just deserved it all. There was no compromise. There was no compromise. There was no no understanding, no, no compassion. There was no compassion coming from her. She was just ugly, ugly, ugly. Oh, I forgot to mention that um, at one point when they were living together but separated, it was a Christmas came around and she still had that uh, aluminum foil star. And when it was time to put the star on top of that beautiful tree, she pulled that aluminum star out and put it on top of the tree. It's like such pettiness, so petty. What what are you trying to prove? Oh wow. I mean, I don't get it. I don't I am going to research other people's thoughts on this movie after I finish this podcast because I'm very curious to see what other people read. There was a time when I watched it and I thought, well, she was always an evil bitch at the end. I do agree on that. But maybe yeah, in the beginning he was not he wasn't very nice. But after watching it now, after having some perspective, after being a divorced woman, after having a husband that, you know, definitely could be way better, I'm watching this man and I'm like, I'm sorry, there is nothing to complain about here. Nobody is perfect, but he is not a bad guy. And she was just awful. I don't know how many times I could say that she's awful, but she really is awful. So now about Michael Keaton's Oliver. Well, I mean, like I already mentioned, I didn't think he was a bad guy. He might have been clueless. He maybe should have spent a little more time with his wife and a little bit less working. But it seemed like he had a decent relationship with his children. It seems like he thought he was uh, having a decent relationship with his wife. And I know that, you know, communication is always important So there could have been way more communication. Maybe if there was more communication, he would have realized how horrible his wife was and chose to leave her. But not only about his character, but just about that situation. Obviously, he could have afforded to walk away because he made plenty of money and um, he didn't want the house. It wasn't about the house for him. It was about the respect. It was about the hurt. It was about probably thinking that maybe fighting this hard for the house would show her that he's still fighting for them. You know, the things that you think about when you're breaking up with somebody or when someone wants to break up with you and you still love them. You try it all. And some things may not be the smartest things to try and they may not work. But I do believe that it was coming from a good place in him, that he did love her and that he only did the wacky things because she was doing the wacky things and she took him over the edge, but that he really loved his wife and wanted to keep his family together. 
And it's a shame that it went down like that for him. But it's a lesson to all of us not to react with such anger or, or in heat of the moment, because look at what it could lead to. We need to be calm, step away, give people space to um, let them realize what they need, but also for us to realize what we're willing to fight for and do we really need to fight for it. Oh, I also think I should mention here that she did not actually cook the dog. She just made him think that she did. The dog was alive. They did show him later in the movie. Another character I'd like to talk about is Danny DeVito. I don't even remember what his name was in the movie, but he he had an important part because he was a narrator and he was um, using this pretty tragic story to remind a client or a would-be client to really analyze if you really need a separation, a divorce. If you are going to divorce, do you need to like fight like cats and dogs or do you you know, you should be, try and be civil and try to pick your battles and try to exit out of the relationship um, healthy and preferably alive. So also he had really good quotes in this movie, a couple quotes that um, I think it would be remiss of me not to share here. Oliver, my father used to say, that a man could never outdo a woman when it came to love or revenge. Why don't you just let her have the house? There are other houses. There are other women. No, 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 Gabino. I'm going to win because I've got her to accept the ground rules. Oliver, there is no winning in this. It's only degrees of losing. Only degrees of losing. I mean, that is a sad but correct way to think about divorce. Nobody's winning. Everybody's losing. They're losing something. Your partner, even though they might want the divorce, is still losing a family unit. They're losing time with their child. They're losing the comfort of their house if a house needs to be um, going to the other person or sold. So I found that to be a really poignant quote and, and true. So quit trying to win because there's no winning in baseball. Oh, no, that's not it. It's there's no crying in baseball. Well, there's definitely a lot of crying in divorce, but there's no winning. Okay, and on that note, I think I'm going to end this episode. I really hope you enjoyed my review. I would love to hear your thoughts on this movie. You can always reach me at www.heavypagespodcast.com and leave me a comment. And, um, well, let's see. I'd love to know if I was way off the mark or if uh, you agreed with me. Anyway, I hope you have a super day. And thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>